0: This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists, and I'm your host, Dr. Bronwyn Milkins. Hey mental workers, welcome back to the podcast. Are you a perfectionist? Now, when some people hear perfectionist, they think of somebody who is very meticulous about the spelling of words, the your versus your, and making sure it's very correct. But we know that there are different definitions of perfectionism and It's particularly prevalent amongst psychologists. Did you know that? We know from research that it is highly prevalent amongst us. And so here to help us unpack this topic of perfectionism and how it shows up in our work and how we can channel the positive benefits of it whilst minimizing the consequences is psychologist Kate. Hi, Kate. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And just to introduce you to listeners, Kate is a psychologist in schools and private practice. She completed the plus two pathway five years ago. But before that, you had over 20 years of case management, right? I did. I did. Wow. So that was amongst young people mostly? Yep. 25 and under. Wow. Mm -hmm. Intense. And then you did the plus two. Where did you do your internship for that?
1: At schools. Oh, that's so
0: cool. (laughs) And I'm still there. (laughs) That's so cool. So Kate, I think, is very qualified and experienced. I hope that doesn't make you nervous for me to say that. Or well, doesn't. We talk about perfectionism, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> I'm already setting you up for like a very high standard that your perfectionism yeah, this brain. Is it. <laughs> yeah. So, listeners, what we're going to unpack today is we're going to link perfectionism to burnout. That's one of the main consequences of perfectionism. Um, but we're going to talk about as well what perfectionism is, how it shows up in our work, what are the benefits, what are the costs. And we're going to talk about finally some practical tips to lessen the negative consequences of perfectionism. You ready, Kate? Let's do it. I found some research. And so I'll read this out to you, Kate. I found some research from some Australian researchers, mainly Susan Simpson and Gabriella Simonato. I'm sorry, Gabriella, if that's the wrong pronunciation of your surname. And they were looking at burnout amongst clinical and counselling psychologists, and the role of early maladaptive schemas and coping modes as vulnerability factors. That's a real mouthful. That is a mouthful. (laughs) But let me just simplify that down. Essentially, what they found was, one, burnout is really common amongst us. So at any given time, psychologists, around half of us, are experiencing very high levels of emotional exhaustion. So pretty much we feel rubbish. And what they found was that is linked primarily to this schema called unrelenting standards. And unrelenting standards is the belief that one must strive to meet excessively high internalised standards of performance, usually to avoid criticism. And so I thought, well, let's have a look at this and unpack it because if perfectionism is primarily driving emotional exhaustion above and beyond your work, so another component of burnout is that work like if you've got a rubbish workplace, you're more at risk of burnout. But even if you've got a great workplace, what this research is showing is that it still predicts around 24% of the variance that you've got burnout just by being having a per- perfectionistic personality. That's nuts, hey?
1: And I don't think it's talked about enough. So I'm loving this study. Let's talk about the what
0: perfectionism is. Can you tell us like your understanding of what perfectionism is, Kate? I can try.
1: Yeah, have so a go. I- <laughs> It's about how well you do something and it's never going to be good enough because it's never perfect. Nothing's ever perfect, right? And we can know that it's not, life isn't perfect. But then for yourself, for some reason, it's a whole different level of I still need to be perfect and worrying about what other people think, what you think, how good is something. And it's, like you say, it's that internal constant negative talk, I guess, Which is draining. Yeah.
0: So one of the components you're pointing out is this double standard. So when I ask people who are perfectionistic, like, would you say that to a friend? They're like, oh, God, no. I would say, you know, it's okay. You're doing the best you can. And then you ask them, what would you say to yourself? And they'd be like, I'm rubbish. I'm terrible. What an awful person I am.
1: I think perfectionists are maybe good at giving positive things to others but when it comes to us for some reason it's not the same right <laughs> yeah, I know
0: and it's just mind-boggling and so illogical because you ask people it's like well, okay so why are you so special and different and they're like I'm not special and different but you that's seem it. to like be so mean to yourself but I don't yes. know <laughs>
1: <laughs> so true
0: yeah so that's one of the things with perfectionism and Kate you, off air you had a great diving analogy for perfectionism can you just share that with us
1: I wish I could remember who it was that I got this off. He was a diver. He's Gary something maybe. Basically diving, you get scores. So, you know, they get a 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10. The aim is always a 10 out of 10. But getting it, you can get a 10 out of 10 and not have a perfect dive. You get a 10 out of 10 and you have an excellent dive and there's still things you can work on. There's still things you could tweak. You could do it a little bit different, a bit better, a bit quicker, a bit slower, whatever. I'm not a diver but you can still be a 10 out of 10 and not be perfect. And it's about the excellence in what you've done, not the perfection in what you've done.
0: So it's really, what do you think that analogy is trying to tease apart for us? Like you said before, there's
1: no such thing as perfect. Like yeah, Perfect is different for everyone. What I think is perfect, is not what you think is perfect. And so what are we trying to meet there? But we can still give it, our 100% and go, that work is excellent for me or that effort is excellent for me. The standard is still excellent. Sure, someone else might come in and pinpoint little things that could have been better or different, but it doesn't mean it's not good quality work. And we're still striving to be good at what we're doing.
0: So it's really getting at this idea that there is healthy striving, which is like, I want to improve on something if I want to play the piano. I want to practice, make sure that I play music over and over again and focus on the specific parts that I need to improve. And it still might not sound perfect to somebody else, but you know in yourself that I've tried yeah. and I'm working to improve something.
1: That's it, right? And it's that compa- what are you comparing to? Are mm. you comparing to someone or something else outside, or are you comparing yourself to yourself? Is it better than what I did last time? And that's the growth and the striving. To be better.
0: Whereas, like, when we think of perfectionism, I guess harmful perfectionism, if we think of it as like, I sometimes describe it to clients as this very corrosive thing. It's like you are bad, you're never good enough, it's a very judgment laden process. And like the definition I read out before said, it's primarily to avoid judgment and criticism. So it's like, if I am perfect, then I can avoid the judgment, criticism and lack of acceptance that might come with being imperfect.
1: Yeah. And I think you have that constant thought of what are other people going to think of this yeah, you or do. What, how are they going to judge that? Or if it's not absolutely 100% perfect then they're going to think I'm not good enough for this job or I don't fit this role or I shouldn't be doing this. And then, the, I don't know, the whole world collapses.
0: Yeah, so it's that comparison to very unrealistic standards. So if we compare yeah. ourselves to other people as well, we completely negate that we're individuals with backgrounds and different career trajectories and instead we look to somebody else and we see them as yeah. this like highlight reel essentially and we're just like wow that's amazing and when we compare ourselves to them and we never do downward comparison like I call that upward comparison where yeah, we compare to true. somebody else like <laughs> who we think is better we never do the downward comparison where we're like look at that person I'm so much better it's always like how I'm so deficient in relation to other people
1: that's it right we're at the bottom and everyone's above us and why am I up there? Yeah, exactly. So you feel like you
0: have to constantly push yourself and push yourself um, maybe beyond what your body can handle. And I think this is where the connection with burnout comes in. We ignore our own needs and then we feel real exhausted.
1: Exactly. And you know how taxing just emotional upset is. Yeah. I you think this constant dialogue inside of you're never good enough. It's never, you know, what do these people think? What are they? And all that thinking is exhausting. Of course, you're going to a little bit burnt out. And then, you know, if you keep going to work thinking you're not very good and the effort you put in that day was not good enough, then no wonder people are getting burnt out.
0: I know. (laughs) Yeah. When you say it like (laughs) that, I mean, it sounds kind of obvious.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just taking that reflection. We don't sort of reflect on that because we're too busy going, oh, but she's so good over there and he's so good at that. And that you don't go, oh, hang on. You know, critics out again. <laughs> it is, it
0: is. And so I'll just I'll finish up with our perfectionism definition. I like this mountain analogy. I think I stole it from somebody and then it's evolved over time. You know how you use analogies and therapy and then you just add on them and just they morph
1: into something else? I'm so proud when I do that. I've done one of those and I made my own up and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever done. And inside your head, oh, you're, no, like,
0: <laughs> inside your head you're like, God, I'm brilliant. And the client just like has no idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've nailed this. <laughs> yeah.
0: So my little uh, stolen analogy that I think I've morphed into something is like, I see perfectionism as let's say you have no mountaineering experience and you're like, I'm going to go climb Mount Everest. And so you get to the top of Mount Everest after much hardship and you're at the top and you See your friend on top of another mountain, nobody knew that there was another mountain taller than Mount Everest, but there it is, and so you look at your achievement and you 're like, "God, this was nothing. Anyone could have done this like this is this is completely nothing and then you look at the other mountain and you 're like, "I should have climbed that mountain okay i'm going to go climb that mountain and so I see perfectionism as You're not acknowledging your achievement. You literally just climb Mount Everest and then you're comparing yourself to something over there and you're like, I need to keep going, even though you're probably exhausted from climbing this huge mountain.
1: That's it, right? And you don't know what path the other person took. Exactly. Maybe it was really hard for them, but they're up the top and you're like, oh, they just did it so much easier than I did. Yeah, because they're better than me and I'm deficient. Yeah, I like that analogy. Thank you. You've done well.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I have no (laughs) idea what the original was like, but I think I've just... (laughs) just something you make up in session and then you're like, okay, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, let's go on to, I think this would be really relatable, this section to listeners. I'm very interested to hear from your perspective, Kate, how perfectionism shows up in your
1: work. Yes. So I think if we think of in session with clients, you know, it's back and forth dialogue. I'm still not overly comfortable with long silences. I feel not that I need to feel the silence, but I feel like it's they're waiting for me to say something and whatever I say has to be the right thing or the light bulb moment or they're going to go, oh, my gosh, you've just changed my life in a sentence. And having that thought then gives you the pressure of, "Okay, what am I going to say next? And so I'm starting to get used to going, "I I don't know. I don't know just yet. Let's work it out together. But there's always that initial thought of what's the answer? What's the next thing to do? how are you going to help them out of this right now? And that, when I when I think of that, I think that is probably a perfectionist thinking. Mm. And I assume everyone else knows what to say. No one anywhere else in the world ever gets stuck in a session. They never don't know the answer, but that's not true, you know? <laughs> Yeah.
0: So I feel like what you're, maybe the perfectionistic belief is like, I must know the right thing to say all the time to clients. So maybe that's the standard. And then when you don't meet that standard before, what you're describing there, I think is quite nice and self-compassionate because you're recognizing that you're not the only one who has this difficulty, but maybe what does your critical brain say to you when you don't know the right thing to say to clients?
1: So they're the days I will come home and go, right, is there any jobs in the florist shop because I can't be a psychologist? (laughs) I don't have the answers. All those years studying, I've learned nothing about anything. I don't know why people feel like this. That's just basic 101. I can't. I'm not a psychologist. (laughs) So
0: you beat yourself up?
1: Yeah. I think also because I've always looked at, and maybe it's that career path that you were talking about before, where it's, you know, you do casework and you work up and now you're a psychologist. And back then, psychologists were you know, almost at the top of the mountain and they knew everything and they could fix all these problems and they were amazing. And now I'm one of them, but I don't feel like one of them. So it's that imposter syndrome will come up of, I'm not one of those people. What am I doing here?
0: Wow, I feel like that's so relatable to our listeners because for early career psychs who are just entering the field, it is almost like you are given this prestige or power to be like, okay, now you know everything. And then when you're in a session with a client and there's silence there, <laughs> I feel like that's quite easy for your brain to jump in and be like, shit, I don't know what to say next, but I should yeah. know what to
1: say. I should. i studied and people are saying I know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it, it sounds like, I mean, I feel like we've just touched on something really important. It almost sounds like maybe how common perfectionism is amongst early career psychs might be tied in with this imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah. Maybe we've just uncovered something there. Cool. Maybe that is the underlying thing of imposter syndrome. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Because like
0: imposter syndrome is feeling like somebody's going to find me out as deficient. Like they've said yeah. that I'm a psychologist, but really like they're going to find out that I know nothing.
1: That's, the other day I was talking to a friend and she will say, you know, oh imposter syndrome and I think she's amazing she knows everything she's my go-to of like oh my gosh your brain is just full of every piece of knowledge and she was reading these things I did not understand and I went oh my gosh I'm reading 101 CBT for kids like this is what I do every day and I've done it for five years and I'm back to the CBT for kids book like what's wrong with me Uh, Again, like when I hear that, I'm
0: like the perfectionistic belief is I should be better by now. I should be reading like a dense textbook uh, about psychoanalytic therapy for kids (laughs) combined with some new age therapy and be at the (laughs) forefront of it and writing my own books and chapters. Like, Yeah, why am I picking up this book? (laughs) Yeah, like I shouldn't be doing this. I should be better. But I I wonder if as well, like we have no... Because you all come from so many different pathways in psychology, it's like we're expecting something of ourselves too much without, like we don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is we don't know what the standard is that we need to meet. Yeah.
1: And you are constantly evolving it and finding your little niche and this is where I want to work. So you can't know everything about every piece of psychology. It's ridiculous. And it's changing all the time. Absolutely. There is so much to learn in psychology. Oh my gosh, so much to learn. Yeah, which and is like,
0: which is attractive yeah. to a lot of us. Like, a lot of us in psych, we love learning, but then it's yes. also like daunting. It's like, oh crap, <laughs> like, I'm never going <laughs> to stop learning.
1: That's it. And then you're like, I want to learn about this. Well, I don't know what these words mean. <laughs> I know.
0: Oh my gosh, I felt that way when I learned EMDR. It was like learning a different language.
1: Mm-hmm. Anything neuropsych. I love neuropsych, but I'm like, these words. So, what is this word again? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, we've got two ways that. Uh, Perfectionism can show up in our work. It can show up in criticizing yourself when you have this belief that you should be somewhere better than you are now and thinking that you're deficient as a therapist. And then it can also show up as imposter syndrome. And Kate, off air, you were telling me about another important way that I think is quite common that will show up in our work. Can you tell us what that is? Hopefully, we're on the same brave wavelength here.
1: Well, what's just come to my mind is report writing. Yes. (laughs) because that's a yeah that one is a hard one because it's you're writing something with the intention of an audience there is going to be an audience it's not you know you're not just writing something that maybe someone will read it it is going to be read and it's got so many different purposes and all these different people are going to read it and I think I might be a little hypersensitive about it because of working in schools so I've seen a lot of reports and. I've seen how teachers particularly can be quite critical of what's in the report. It's not enough information. They're not putting in scores. This doesn't give me specifics. So with all of that in mind, going, well, I want to write reports that are useful and that advocate for a client and are not offensive in any way. They, you know, there's a very high standard. And I think that comes into play when you're writing a report to go, okay, I want to meet all these different, you know, parents, teachers, the client. Maybe a GP or a psychiatrist, I want to meet all these people's needs in one report, which has to be succinct and to the point, which is a massive ask.
0: When I hear that, I think of the feeling of pressure like that must place so much pressure on yourself.
1: And even a time pressure, because yeah. even though it's your time, you know, if you want to give out a report in three months, you can. People probably won't be happy with that. <laughs> so it's also there, you know, as soon as you do all those assessments and put it together, the next question is. So how long till I get the report back? How long till the results come back? So then there's that pressure of going, yeah, I want to give them to you really quickly. And if you get one near the end of a, ter- a school term, they want it before the end of the year. They want it before the end of the term. They want it ready to go. So there's that all that added pressure, I think, blows up the perfectionism the perfectionist side.
0: It would. So let's say you're prone to perfectionism. You're prone to having maybe setting unrealistic standards for yourself. And then literally externally, you've got other people being like, okay, can you give me a 20 page report in a week? Like they are putting unrealistic standards onto you. That would send a perfectionistic brain on fire and be like, okay, I need to do that. They're saying they need the report. They need it to be absolutely perfect. And I should be able to meet that. And then when we don't meet that, we're like, "Ah." I was bad without realizing that the standard was unrealistic.
1: That's it, and it's a report writing's a bit of a bubble. Like it's you don't generally. I mean, I'm, I don't think anyone does. You don't really do it with someone else and sit down next to someone else and collaborate on this report. And it's your work that you do. You come back, you write the report, you give it out, you put your name on it, and it's all internal and external pressure and how you manage that without, yeah, falling in that. And that would be perfect burnout mixture, I think. Absolutely. All that together.
0: And so one way people can deal with it is they can spend 24 hours a day working on their report and making sure they go over every word and revising and revising. And one way I imagine that people can deal with that as well is to do nothing and procrastinate and just be like, look, this is too overwhelming. I'm just chill in Netflix for the next week and then an yeah. hour beforehand. <laughs> I might write this report out of intense anxiety and adrenaline. Is that something that's familiar to you,
1: Kate? Oh, I want to say no. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very much i um, I'm going to say this is a perfectionist trait of I want to start it, I want to do a great job and I want to finish it and I want it to have one draft and I want it to be perfect in a day or two. So I always set aside a few hours and pump it out. It, that's not realistic. I know that's not realistic. But then it's stepping back and now leave it for a day and come back and do it again because I will get stuck in that thing of like that is too hard and I'm going to just watch Netflix and I'll get to it when I'm ready. And I'm never ready. So it could be days before you get back to it and then you've lost the time and then you start beating yourself up again of well, I've just wasted four days. And now that means it's going to be another four days till they get it. And now they're going to be emailing me and what do they think of me? And and then it's out of control.
0: Which just has a whole nother layer of stress, where if potentially if you approached it being like, okay, it's realistic to expect that I'm going to try and write for a few hours, I'll need to leave it so I can come back with a fresh perspective. So I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm actually on the timeline that is realistic. That could be probably help a little more what do you
1: think I think it's but yes absolutely it is I think back to so it took me a while to get into reports because I think I was a little bit scarred by the when you have to do case reports and all of that stuff to get your certification yeah. all of that is just yeah I hate them time pressures and criticism and mm. it's never good enough so I didn't touch them. I said, never am I. That was horrible. I didn't like it. I don't want to do it again. Yeah, I,
0: I hear you. I am emphatically
1: nodding. Yes. <laughs> so I think everybody should have a break. <laughs> <laughs> then coming back to it, it's going, okay, it's that structure and it's going working out how you work. So you've got your sections to your report and it does get easier. It's not all bad because once you've got the bones, you just keep using the same headings and you're adding stuff, changing words, all of that gets easier. But I think it's, like you say, being realistic. How much time have I got today? What am I going to knock off? And then doing it in sections and having breaks, getting out, walking around, doing a stretch, not just sitting there going, okay, I'm going to cram it out like a a report in eight hour block because it's going to be the worst work you've ever done. You read it again and go, oh dear.
0: (laughs) One thing I wanted to pick up there was how you said it gets better over time. It sounds like with repeated practice with your reports, you have come to be able to write them a lot easier. Is that right?
1: Yes, I'm <laughs> going to say it's a. Um, you took a long pause it's there. A pr- it's a process. Yeah. <laughs> 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 where the first few that you write are probably the worst ones you're ever going to write, and that's the bit of the perfectionist. It's kind. Of, it's a, It's a journey. It's a learning journey. Actually, now I'm thinking about it, is recognizing that you have these perfectionist traits of, I want to sit down, write a perfect report in one day, get it out, look like a superstar, get more work, rinse and repeat. But I think it's working out how you work, how long can you focus for? You can't focus for two hours on a report. So figure out what it is you do, put some strategies in place there. Then you start getting a template, which you can use the next time. And so you're going to have different like different reports to write it might be an ADHD one it might just be a risk one whatever but you start having templates and then it's about just putting the guts of it in so you've got the structure and you've done all the basic stuff so it gets a little bit easier but it's that persisting and working through that inner critic and a lot of self-reflection and <laughs> a lot of being kind yeah and that's
0: the healthy striving versus the beliefs that early career psychs might bring to this and be like, I need to be perfect to report straight away, which when you step back and look at it, is a ridiculous standard. But it's the one that we can often have of ourselves. We come out of uni or we're doing our plus two or our plus one and we're like, I should be able to do this perfect straight away and know everything. But how often are we doing and learning things that we pick up straight away?
1: That's the end, what I learned a lot of was you don't learn this stuff at you. No. Like a case report that you write to send to ARPA and tick off, tick, 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 you've done all these bids, is not the same report that you give someone. That's a different style. It's sort of same but very different. We didn't learn how to write these kind of reports. You've got to do extra training or learn it in your internships and you've got to you've got to get it wrong to get it right. And I think it's that understanding of, okay, this is a process. And it it can be a challenge, but one of those positive challenges of like I'm growing from this, not – no, I'm just not good at it. So
0: Yeah, and then you give up and then you don't do it ever again. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it just brought me back. I I went axe throwing a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I know, so (laughs) random. Um, But axe throwing essentially darts with axes. So you've got like a dart board, but you're throwing axes. And it's really challenging. And so when I did it, the coach was like, look, you're going to throw 100 or more axes today and you're going to get 20 of them on the board but you need to keep throwing them so that you can get the technique underhand. And yeah, I missed so many boards and so many, just like they've got wood at the end. You just kind of throw a few meters and, and, and it missed, but then I got a few bullseyes and I was like,
1: heck yes. Like, but, but
0: you know, if you'd given up, then you're not going to get a bullseye, I guess what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. And it's like thing you said before where it's, why do you go in expecting you know how to do it I know if you've never done it before? Yeah.
0: Like I would <laughs> never walk into an axe throwing place and be <laughs> like, I've got this.
1: <laughs>
0: I was like, can I touch the axe? Do you trust me touching an axe? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but like early career folks, we do that to ourselves all the time. We're like, like, I should know this by now, but it's like, dude, mm. you just like finished a unit on like assessment, and now you're expecting yourself to be able to do this just at the click of a finger. It's that's it, unrealistic
1: and frankly mean. It, yeah, and you would never say to a friend or a colleague, oh, how come you didn't do that good the first time? That's terrible. <laughs> you yeah. said that is a good effort. You've done well there.
0: Yeah, so really like I want to say – maybe this will sound harsh, maybe I am being critical, but I want to say that maybe perfectionism can show up in our work as psychologists psychologist as like really delusionally mean to ourselves in that we're expecting something that realistically we shouldn't be expecting ourselves and we're just real mean to ourselves about it.
1: That's, I think that's the interesting thing is that our job is to support and be the coach for so many people and we most psychologists do it really, really well. We're just not with ourselves. Mm, We're not. Mm, I know.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about that. I feel like we've done good about how it shows up in our work and some of the cons of perfectionism. So maybe the answer to why can't we be kind to ourselves is because there are benefits that we're seeing. So we don't want to lose the perfectionistic side of us because maybe it's also having benefits. So I'm wondering, Kate, can you speak to any of the benefits that you've seen from having a perfectionistic personality show up in your psych work?
1: I think this might turn into, this is from perfectionism. So you said before, we love learning. We love reading. We like, you know, we get into all that kind of nerdy stuff. And I think it's constantly practicing what we preach. So I don't know if you've ever done a lot of act work. Yeah. Where it's for it to work, you need to do it on yourself. Otherwise, you know, you're just sort of chucking it out there and you don't really know what's happening. So I do a lot of act work as well, which means I'm constantly going, okay, to make this better, I've got to do it on myself. and. I think if I wasn't a perfectionist, of have well, I want to get this right in sessions, then I probably would skip that step and go, yeah, but the book said this, I can do it. Why? I'm not good. Take it away. And it lends itself to going, okay, I just want to learn more about something. And, you know, with report writing, if I was going to flick it over to me being the coach of myself, it would be going, well, you probably do have some really good reports because I have seen people pay for reports that even I've gone, oh, that's, that's the wrong kid's name in there or that's the wrong gender you've used in there. You've kind of switched between he and she or just little things that aren't even a big deal. But I'm pretty confident mine don't have that because I've checked it. I've got this process of someone else check it, change those little things. That going back to that, it's probably excellent. It's not perfect, but it's probably excellent because I have taken that time and I've put in trying to get to perfection, I guess, in a, in a healthy way of going, okay, okay structure it like this give yourself time think of what you need do that there and doing the process almost perfectly to get a higher quality out
0: yeah what I'm hearing is that perfectionism helps to make you more alert to the things you need to do to improve your performance or the quality of your work yeah that's
1: a good summary I like that (laughs)
0: because like if you didn't, then you would, cause ACT requires a lot of metaphors, analogies, storytelling, and there's a lot of experiential activities where you're showing clients rather than telling them a concept. It's really cool. I really like that about ACT, but to get good at that, you, I agree, you really can't just read the book and be like, got it. You actually yeah. have to practice. And I feel like a perfectionistic mindset can help us be attuned to that rather than being overconfident and being like, I've read it once, now I can do it. It's like, no, you actually need to practice this to gain competency.
1: So yeah, like it may it is just more attention and more focus and more care around the output.
0: Um, Which I think, I think that's great. And another benefit that I think is with being a psychologist, like we do have a high standard of care that we want to deliver to our clients and our community and the people who we are trying to help. And so I think that perfectionism can also, I think that's, it's that alertness again, it makes us more alert as to like, am I delivering ethical, competent care? Am I doing what's needed? How can I better assist this client? Uh, What do I need to do here? is the client responding to treatment, or that kind of stuff. I feel like a perfectionistic mindset can help us be more attuned to that. Again, rather than having the, like, she'll be right
1: attitude. Yeah, and the reflection. Like you said, I think reflection is important for that. And if, you're, if you have that perfectionist tendency, then you will be reflecting on what could I have done better? What could I have done different? Am I giving the best quality of care? Am I the right person for this person? Can I give the parent a bit more information? Whatever, like you're thinking about it a bit more to get that higher standard of work. And it's coming naturally. It's not a forced thing or it's not a, uh, yeah, I don't care. I did my job, clock off at five o'clock, I'm done. It's getting that good quality for everybody. Which I think is really cool. Which I think is really cool too. Because that's, if I was going to see a psychologist, I think that's the one I want. I don't want the one that goes, okay, it's five o'clock. I'm done. See you later. Yeah. I'm not caring how high the quality is. Yeah.
0: So I wonder if maybe us perfectionists, we also see that if I'm being perfectionistic, then I'm demonstrating care to others. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and I think it ties into, you know, part of a perfectionist is I care about or worry about what other people think of me. So it's going, I want them to leave this session feeling something has shifted or there's been something positive or, yeah, wow, she was really listening to me. That's all they need to take away, and that's what our job is. So to have that thought of, well, I want them to think positive of me so that they can get better.
0: Maybe we don't have to disavow ourselves of our perfectionism. Maybe we don't have to put it into exile. And maybe you'll resonate with this. I'm going to try and make a clever link and we'll see if it comes out cleverly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, you know, in act, we don't have to get rid of our thoughts. What we want to do is have the thoughts there, but reduce the disproportionate influence that they have on our behavior. So like if our thoughts like I'm a terrible person is causing us to act in ways that aren't in line with our values, we don't have to get rid of that thought, but we just have to notice that it's there and get some distance from it to be able to act in line with our actions. So what I want to connect it to is like with perfectionism, we don't have to get rid of these beliefs that like um, I should climb that mountain over there or what I'm doing isn't good enough, but we can actually notice them, get some distance from them and be like, what's the helpful things from here? So it's like, I don't need to tell myself that I'm a crap therapist to be able to look at a report and see if there's things that I can change. Like, it's like, it's just not necessary, but it can still be there in the background
1: yeah and it's a thing of have that thought first yeah acknowledge that put it to the side and then think okay so what can I learn from this what can I do differently or that'd be really cool yeah that's nice let's do that every day
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I agree yeah because uh yeah like I guess like previously maybe even during this episode I was like crap like Maybe we're saying perfectionism is a good thing, but maybe that's wrong. But now I've I've actually changed my mind. I'm like, no, we don't actually have to get rid of it. It actually is helpful. You've really helped me, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> 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 um, because yeah, it's like it actually is part of us and it can be protective, but it's like when it when we criticize ourselves real harshly and and we give ourselves unrealistic standards that we'd never uh set for somebody who we love and care about it's really unfair and mean to ourselves and that's when it can cause burnout and cause us to not feel great about ourselves and our work
1: yeah that's it and it's just taking that like what is this of myself perfectionism how can i use it in a positive way and just being aware okay there are some things that aren't helpful with that when they show up what am i going to do about that
0: but otherwise let's use it i really like this let's turn to some practical tips so i mean, this is kind of like practical tip heavy moment How can we lessen the negative consequences of perfectionism, Kate? Any ideas?
1: So I think we've touched on it throughout this now that I think about it, is that reflection of looking at going, where am I at? What am I doing? Am I being a critic? Am I, why am I speaking to myself this way? And it could be through anything. It could be journaling. It could be go for a run, take a break, anything to step back from, you know, when you look at something so intently, like a report, you're going to find something wrong every time. Like it's, you're too close to it. Someone else reads it, they don't see what you see. So it's that reflection time of, okay, put it aside. Let's reflect on that session or let's reflect on that report. Or what do I need to do? A bit of self care, a bit of journaling, a bit of dance it off the wall with someone else, just to get the perspective. Cause you start to lose that perspective if you don't step
0: back. You do, you just believe what your brain is telling you and you I guess you just get more entrenched in it, and you're just like, maybe I'm rubbish, maybe I'm a bad therapist, maybe like I should just be a florist. Not that there's anything wrong with being a florist. Florists are great people.
1: I always feel like florists are lovely, and then someone said, "Could you imagine how stressful it would be if you were a florist and it was wedding season?" Uh, like, oh gosh, yeah, good point. I <laughs> guess that would, yeah, that, um, yeah, that would be stressful. <laughs> okay, yeah, squ- I don't know what florist the job that doesn't have stress. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Back to just being a barista. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think that's a really good point. So reflection, I will add one, which is self compassion. Yes. And uh, I've mentioned this in another episode, I think the one on emotional labor, but I really used to think I used to like kind of vomit in my mouth when I thought of self compassion. <laughs> like I thought it was such a gross yeah. concept <laughs> and I'd be like, blah, <laughs> self compassion. <laughs> And now I'm a real convert. I read Kristen Neff's book on self-compassion. She has two. There's Fierce Self-Compassion, which is like a feminist bent, compassionate book. And then there's this other one, which is just self-compassion, which is both uh, not gender specific. And it was really good because one of the key chapters in there, which is a key barrier for perfectionists to developing self-compassion, is that they think that if they are compassionate, they will become lazy and they'll yeah. be unproductive and she goes through really brilliant research in her book about how that's not the case at all that you actually perform better when you are more self-compassionate and that was the thing to get me over the line and I was like oh okay great <laughs> it
1: gives me permission yeah it totally did and I think about thinking of like if I look after myself or give myself you know self-love then I'm a bit of a wanker and (laughs) I don't want to be full of myself. So I'm not going to, you know, I'll trash myself and be kind to everyone else and everyone will think I'm great. Whereas it's like, it's not about that. Like you can love yourself and give yourself kindness and compassion. And I remember at school, someone, a teacher, she was a bit older. And she said, tell me the difference between self-care and selfish because if you're going to spend all day meditating and doing your yoga and getting your head up your ass, how are you going to be helpful for anybody else? Wow. Like, that is a good argument. However, and yeah. <laughs> we kind of talked about it for a bit going there is a line. But if you're not doing all your yoga and your meditation and you're running or whatever it is, then how are you going to give the compassion to anyone else when you're so overwhelmed and burnt out from life in general and no one's caring for you?
0: The whole you can't pour from an empty cup thing.
1: That's it. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, because
0: it's it's really hard. Like I think we can have self-care without having that judgment of being selfish. I think that if we take care of our normal human needs to regulate our stress that it's somehow selfish. I don't get it.
1: Yeah, I don't get it either. And if you look at it in proportion, I think okay, say I don't know, say you see clients six hours a day. There you are for someone else six hours a day. That's a lot. You might just need half an hour for yourself a day and that's your compassion and you're okay again it doesn't need to be a 50 50 balance
0: no it doesn't yeah i think that's a a, a misconception that people have about self compassion that you need to be navel gazing for four hours and and sitting in the daisies or however you, you <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody does that uh, we just, need to
1: rebrand this yeah.
0: <laughs> but self-compassion there's literally three components which is self-kindness common humanity and mindfulness so literally a self-compassion break can be 30 seconds and it's like I notice this pain and suffering. I notice I've made a mistake. I am a human. Billions of other people on this earth make mistakes, and I respect myself and I admire myself. I am trying
1: hard, and
0: that—that's it. That took like what fifteen seconds. And
1: it's just that changing, noticing what that dialogue is in your head, and changing it. I'm going. I don't need to be mean to myself.
0: <laughs> I agree. And, Kate, there's another practical tip that we were talking about off-air that I thought was genius. Um, Could you please share it with us?
1: (laughs) Oh, I'd love to. Supervision. Okay. So you can find a supervisor or it could be peer supervision. I think supervision is really important as a bouncing, bounce it off. So if it's you've just got to find the right one. So I think for a perfectionist possibly, a lot of supervision, particularly around report writing or if you want to get feedback on something. And the role of a supervisor is to give you ideas of how to improve it, make it better. Oops, you made this mistake. Let's fix this. I just changed this bit. You know, you put a five instead of a V for the DSM, whatever it is. And um, it's a lot of that. And that is very helpful. It's very useful. You need need that. I think for a perfectionist, we do that all the time. So, yeah, give me that. But I may also need a little bit more, hey, you're on the right track. You're doing well. This is specifically what is good. So I've had experience where, amazing, love, love my supervisors, and it would be, yep, that's good. This bit here has got to be fixed. here. This bit here, oh, here you made this mistake. Fix that up and send it back. So looking at it with a perfectionist mind and early report writing was going, ah, oh, I did all right, but, yeah, I've got a bit more work to do. And then I would spend hours fixing those bits and going, oh, I know she didn't comment on that bit, but. Maybe I could make it a bit better as well. And then she'll give me a bit more feedback. And every time, i go, yep, that's good. You can send that now. I'm like, okay, it's just good. It's not perfect and it's not excellent and it's not that bit's not really great. It's just good. Is that enough? I don't know. And then, you know, time comes in, I go, okay, here's your good report. <laughs> Whereas, and I don't feel great about it. So I think finding it the right supervisor for you. So I've learned over time, maybe. Because of the perfectionism and the critic is a little stronger than my own internal boost to get a supervisor and surround myself with people that will be specific about what's good as well as what's not so great. I think
0: that's brilliant that you've recognised that in yourself that, hey, I actually do need that validation that I am doing really well in these areas rather than just the continual, not negative feedback, but constructive feedback. You actually need more of that. Yes, I am doing well in these areas and you need that to be made explicit.
1: Yeah, and I think it's taken a while to get there because it's always, I think just generally as a society, we don't, you know, if if someone has a problem, they'll complain about the problem. They won't tell you if it's great service or they won't tell you it was a great coffee. They'll just leave it. But if they have rubbish service, oh yeah, I'm going to make a complaint or I'm going to write a review about that. And I think that happens in life. People just, I don't know, we're just attuned to it. it. must be, you know, we're negative bias. We just we'll yeah. tell when it's not great, but not many people. I guess like supervision
0: as well. It's like you're supposed to bring your issues to your supervisor. It's not like I don't ever think I've seen a recommendation like bring your successes to your supervisor, which now that I'm thinking about it sounds bizarre, but we sh- absolutely should.
1: That's it. because, And I was saying it at work the other day, so it's in private practice that you kind of work in a bubble, but there's other people around. And I sort of went, I work with kids. I don't know. I think I'm doing all right. And they all went, what do you mean? We've got great feedback. And I said, well, I don't get feedback. I work with kids. Kids give no feedback. And then they kind of went through things that they've heard and, well, doctors keep referring to you. And my first response was, because there's not many psychologists that work with kids, so they have no choice. And everyone at the table said, what are you talking about? And so it took them to go, right, we need to be telling you when we get feedback, when people are asking for you and we're rejecting them because you're full, and just these little things, because they work with adults, they give more feedback of, oh, that really worked. Thank you. That was really helpful. But I don't get that with kids and sometimes parents will do it. But even just recognising little things of like, this is what you need to look for. If a doctor's referring back, don't automatically go, because they have no choice. Yeah, don't discount it. it. It's no, they've got obviously got good feedback from a client of yours. And they went, okay. I know I can get the paperwork from her. She does a good job. She gets outcomes. I'll send more people. Yeah. So it's knowing that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think for a perfectionist to go, okay, the bar is here, not this amazing, you know, splashed across the headlines. Oh, you're doing a great job. It's the little things to go, okay. This is what I've got to be mindful of.
0: I really love that point that you've just made. And I think for our early career listeners, really making sure that if you're not getting it from your colleagues, that you are watching out for these signs of feedback that are positive. Um, so it might even be writing down one thing a day that you noticed you did well. Yes. Because sometimes you don't get that feedback. Or sometimes because you have a perfectionistic mindset, you discount the feedback. So sometimes I know like I talk about this with my clients, but with accepting compliments. And if somebody has a perfectionistic mindset, they'll be like, they're only saying that to be nice. And then they'll yes. discount it completely straight away. And we can do that ourselves. Psychologists, we're not immune to these, to these biases and ways of discounting information. But it's really, what I'm hearing from you, Kate, is that it's really important to
1: make sure that you internalise that, that positive feedback. I mean, I'm not amazing at this yet, but even asking for it. Yeah. Of going, can I sound you out on this? Do you think that was a good thing that I did or what do you think about this? Was it the right thing to just get that reinforcement? Because most people go, yes, it was. If you know, well, I think it was a good thing to do, but I just don't have the confidence. Getting someone else to back it up to go, yeah, that was the right decision or that report was really, really good or whatever it is, just to back the little voice to make it a bit louder internally, I think.
0: So, Kate, we're coming up towards the end of the episode. I think this has been really good. I will ask for a takeaway in the form of what would you say to a younger Kate who is just starting out as a psych about perfectionism now?
1: I think it goes straight back to the top where we started where you can be excellent and not be perfect and that's where you've got to strive for and just constantly be inquisitive and curious and wanting to learn and know that constantly you are going to be learning and that's just how you approach it i think as a learning always learning.
0: Yeah, learning that that growth mindset. I would say something similar to my younger self 2 years ago, uh maybe 3 or 4. <laughs> but I would say to them, you don't have to know it all straight away and nobody is expecting you to. It's okay to be a student. This is where you are and that's okay. Cuz yeah, I was definitely feeling like, oh, I have to know everything and it's just like looking back at it
1: now, it's like that's ridiculous. I think the best thing I ever got told that worked for me for everything was you're you're only human. I love that. You're human. So when I'm really overwhelmed or going, why can't I do this? I'll go, because you're human. That's why you're feeling that way. That's why you're thinking that way. It is this because you're human. Yeah. Humans make mistakes. That's what we do. Yeah.
0: You're not a robot. You're a
1: human. You're not a robot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: Kate, thank you so much for coming on this episode. I really appreciate your insights and perspectives.
1: This was great. But this was so enlightening for us.
0: Yes, it was. I feel much oh. enlightened. Thank you. Oh, we solved
1: all problems here. <laughs> I know.
0: So, Kate, if listeners want to learn more about you or get in touch, where can they
1: find you? Um, they can go onto the website, which is changerooms.com.au, and then there's all the info on there of how to get in touch. Nice.
0: Well, Kate and listeners, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career psychologists. If you're loving the show and don't want to miss an episode, press follow on your podcast listening app. If you want to show us some love, consider sharing the episode with a friend or giving us a five-star rating and review in your podcast app. If you want to show us some extra love, join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash mentalworkpodcast. This really helps to keep the podcast alive. Want to keep the conversation going? Have a cool idea for an episode or just want to say hi? Send me an email or join the Facebook page by clicking on the links in the show description. See you next time.